Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and welcome to the new podcast series on the Fall Feasts of the Lord, the Fall Feast of Adonai. We're in episode 8 and the second lesson on the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths or Sukkot. Now remember, Tabernacles, it comes from the Latin and all it means is tent. Uh, it's interesting that we still use uh, kind of a Latin transliteration uh, in our vocabulary today. I mean, tabernacle, nobody really uses that word before. Hey, I'm going uh, up to the campsite up in uh, northern Minnesota. I'm going to be setting up the tabernacle. Want to join us? Uh, but a tabernacle from Latin means tent. And again, these aren't feasts. These are appointed times. Moedim. God set a specific time and place and purpose for each of these appointed times. And it's the season of joy. The season of great joy among his people, the, he the Hebrews coming out of Egypt, and all of Israel, and to the Jewish people today. Now a sukkah in Hebrew means a shack, um, a lean-to made out of wood, uh, a temporary shelter, a, a tent. And in lesson one on this moed, we recall that they dwelt in tents. And they're supposed to recall when they dwelt in tents. This was a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And probably the Hebrews, when they're remembering that they dwelt in tents with God in the Sinai wilderness, they're going to remember that God did as well. God was with them. God with us. Emmanuel. Now there's some interesting connections to the structures built so God could come and dwell with his people. The first structure is the one he gave instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he said, I want you to build me a tabernacle, a booth. In other words, a tent. God came and dwelt among them in his tent. That's his first structure in his first coming. Or his first coming to dwell. His second structure where he came to dwell was his house, the Beit HaMikdash, the holy dwelling house. We call it Solomon's temple, but even when you read in 1 Kings chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, Solomon built God's house. And that's how Jewish people, even today, remember the dwelling place of God, not a temple. I remember I heard one rabbi say, the Greeks have temples, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has a dwelling house, a Beit HaMikdash, the holy dwelling place. Isn't it interesting? It's a picture of God coming twice. Huh. That's curious. God coming twice to dwell, first of all, in a booth, a tent, and coming a second time to dwell in a permanent structure, the Beit HaMikdash, the holy dwelling house, Solomon's temple. It's curious. God coming twice in this picture. So let's now go, let's open his word and try to see more of all that we missed as Christians who have really, all of us in the church have been so separated from our Jewish roots, from our Hebrew heritage. And on top of that, to see how it all relates, this appointed time of Sukkot, that testifies of God, testifies of the Lord, testifies of Yeshua, testifies of the Holy Spirit, the one 
and only God. So again, we're going to continue with a little bit of the history of this feast of Sukkot. From 586 BC until 70 AD, it was clearly practiced in the Second Temple period. And we call that the Second Temple period because the first temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed. And the Hebrews returned, the Jewish people returned from Babylon, and they start building the Second Temple. So this is called the Second Temple period. Now it begins with the return of Ezra after the Babylonian ex exile. Ezra led the Hebrews back to God, and he leads them back to Torah. And they were developing strategies to make Torah a part of the everyday lives of the Jewish people. 455 B.C., approximately, we read about Ezra reading the Torah to all the people. And he leads them that they have to begin practicing the Feast of Sukkot again. You can read about this in Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And it's very interesting. Sukkot had not been done since 1400 B.C. It is now 455 B.C. My goodness, we're dealing with almost a thousand years. Nehemiah 8, 13 through 18. Then on the second day, the heads of fathers' households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe, that they might gain insight into words of the Torah. They found written in the Torah how the Lord had commanded through Moses the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem going, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity, made boots, Sukkot, and lived in them. Now here's the interesting statement in the book of Nehemiah here. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. A thousand years, the feast of Sukkot was not practiced. And there was great rejoicing. He read from the book of the Torah of God daily, from the first day to the last day, and they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. The days of Joshua? 900 to 1,000 years. Wow. Probably is related again to Judges, chapter 2, verse 10, when the third generation coming out of Egypt, they had turned totally away from Adonai. They turned totally away from him and started serving the Baals. They integrated into the pagan culture of the Canaanites. And it seems as if for the most part, most of the Hebrews at that time forgot to do the feasts. There had to be a, a remnant. There had to be a minority because that carries through obviously with David. It carries through with Solomon, etc. 
So in the days of Jesus, the Feast of Sukkot was the biggest celebration all year. There, there were so many special aspects to it, joyous festivities, the dwelling in booths all over the, the city of Jerusalem, very specific sacrifices and the rites of the week. And we remember the three pilgrimage festivals, the three pilgrimage appointed times, Passover, Pesach in Hebrew, Pentecost, Shavuot in Hebrew, and now Tabernacles, Sukkot. The two most popular of these, of these three were Passover and Sukkot. And Passover was the key moed of all of them. It was the key appointed time of all of the feasts. But Sukkot was the most popular. It was the end of the year grand party. It was the end of the harvest and the beginning of the rainy season. And so we are going to return and we're going to again ask us the, uh, ask the question as we take a look at it in Jesus' day. How is this a shadow of Messiah? And how is Messiah a shadow of this feast over us? Now, 70 AD until today, uh, the feast of Sukkot, it's the beginning of rabbinic Judaism and everything changes. There's no temple anymore. And the rabbis met to reform all the Jewish practices and the rituals. What are they going to do? There was no priesthood. There was no temple. It was gone. And the practice of the appointed times would have to be changed as well. Now today, the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, is widely practiced in Judaism, among all the sects of Judaism. And there's a lot of common aspects of the feast among the Jewish people. And one of the common aspects is the sukkah. They actually live in it for a week. Now, there are many other practices today in Judaism of the Feast of Sukkot. Uh, there are so many places on the internet to actually go and learn about this. One of them would be Hebrew for Christians, and that's Hebrew, the number four, Christians, like all one word, HebrewForChristians.com, and you can go there and look under holidays, and click on holidays and find the Feast of Sukkot, and John Parsons has done a marvelous job to talk about some of those aspects of how the Jewish people actually practice Sukkot, uh, yeah, the Feast of Sukkot today. But like I said, one of the common elements, obviously, across Judaism is the sukkah. And you can see so many different types. It's really a lot of fun to Google um, the following. Sukkah, S-U-K-K-A-H, in Jerusalem. You should Google that and then click on images. Oh my goodness, you will see so many different types. Or you can just go on the internet and Google sukkah or Jewish sukkah and again to see the individual small ones and family ones. Now for me, just to let you know, for this session in the session description at the website, so you go to the website lightofmenorah.org, all one word, lightofmenorah.org, and you will find this session and this again is uh, 
the Fall Feasts of the Lord, Session 8, Lesson 2 of the Feast of Sukkot, and in the introduction to this lesson with the writing underneath the picture, I've included two of the pictures of our sukkah for Robin and I, because we actually celebrate sukkah. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. What's really interesting is to take a look at the rabbinic rules to actually uh, set up one sukkah. So when we look at these rabbinic rules, we have to understand this. The rabbis are wrong from an archaeological perspective and a biblical perspective to say that you live in some sort of a wooden structure with three walls and branches all over and so on, implying that this is what this is what they lived in 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 their experience in the Sinai. Absolutely not. The Bible is so clear they lived in tents. Probably Bedouin tents or tents like the Bedouin people. You could actually type in Bedouin tents on the internet and get a good idea of what those tents may have looked like for the Hebrews coming out of Egypt. But the rabbis, again, they're making up their rules and their regulations in order to practice the Feast of Sukkot in Judaism today. So here is uh, the description. A sukkah must have at least two and a half walls. Two and a half walls must have at least, could have more, but at least two and a half walls. And it has to be covered with a, a material that will not blow away in the wind. But why two and a half walls? Well, there are three letters that make up the word sukkah. Samech, Kof, and He. So if you actually look that up, you will find that the, that the letter Samech has four sides to it. The letter Kof has three sides, and the letter He has two and a half sides. So the rabbis, looking at the word, saying, therefore, a sukkah can have four sides to it, but definitely at least two and a half because of the word. Now the walls of the sukkah do not have to be solid. Can canvas covering tied or nailed down is acceptable and quite common in the United States. A sukkah may be of any size, so long it is large enough for anyone to fulfill the commandment of dwelling in it. The roof of the sukkah must be made of a material referred to as sechach, literally, co literally covering, to, fill the co to fulfill the co uh, commandment. Sechach must be something that grew from the ground and was cut off, such as tree branches, corn stalks, bamboo reeds, sticks, or two-by-fours. Sechach must be left loose, not tied together or tied down. Sechach must be placed sparsely enough that rain can get in, and preferably sparsely enough that the stars can be seen, but not so sparsely that more than 10 inches is open at any point, or that there is more light than shade. The Sechach must be put on last. You must put a waterproof cover over the top of the sukkah when it's raining to protect the contents of the sukkah. But you cannot use it as a sukkah while it is covered. You must remove the cover to fulfill the mitzvah of dwelling in a sukkah. Now these are just some of the rules and regulations. And again, with regards to what the rabbis have done, again, 
I realize that indeed this is a way of practicing the Feast of Sukkot. It could very well be that this idea of a temporary dwelling place, a sukkah, came out of Europe, because again this comes out of uh, the Orthodox uh, Rabbinic Judaism, and so I can see that perhaps from their background and their culture in Europe, that this was what they viewed as what the people dwelled in uh, in in the, the Sinai wilderness. Now there's many more uh, practices and rituals of the Jewish people today, and we're not going to go into them because all of them do not in any way agree in any shape or form with anything that was going on in the days of Yeshua, in the days of Jesus, because they had the temple, and the temple, and the practices in the temple, and the rituals there, is what we really want to return to. Remember Jesus says in John 5, 39, all Torah is going to testify of him. He actually said all scripture testifies of him, meaning all the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. But again, the five books that are the primary books of the Hebrew scriptures is the Torah the first five books of the Bible. So we come back to Leviticus 23, verses 42 to 43. You shall live in booths, Sukkot, for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So for Robin and I, we put up our tent I used to have an orthodox, rabbinic, kosher sukkah that I actually bought from an orthodox, Jewish, rabbinic website years ago. And then in my study of Hebrew, in my study of archaeology and the customs and culture, I'm looking at the Bible and they lived in tents. It's so clear. But a sukkah, the Hebrew word sukkah, can mean a shack, can mean a, 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 a wooden lean-to, or tent. That's what it means. Now, Robin and I put that up, and we practiced the Feast of Sukkot. The question is, why? Yeah, it's something I want you to consider. During the Feast of Sukkot, it's a time to remember the Exodus. It's a time to remember that they dwelt in Sukkot, in boots and tents. But God also dwelt among them in his own sukkah. We say tabernacle, which means tent. Huh. God was with them. God with us, Emmanuel. God came to dwell with his people. He camped out. He camped out in his his tent. In the Mishkan, HaKodesh, his holy dwelling place. Now it's interesting with the two structures where God came to dwell among his people. The first time that he is going to dwell among his people is the tabernacle, is the tent. And that was the first structure and is the first time he came to dwell in a structure. The second time he came to dwell in his house. Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem. Huh. God came twice. It sounds like something we know as Christians, right? We go into John chapter 1, 
verse 14. And John is writing and he says, yep, Jesus came and he dwelt among us. But when you take a look at the Greek, the Greek word is skeno. Strong's number is G4637. It means to camp out. Jesus came to camp out among us. On top of that, his human body, the body he was born with, we could call it his sukkah, his temporary tent. Now this gets interesting because after his resurrection, we understand that his resurrected body was different than his human body that he was born with. You can check this out. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 50. We think about his glorious body. We think about his resurrected body. Philippians 3, 21. We also are going to have new bodies just like him. And so Paul is trying to teach us that the first body, the human body that Jesus had, that he was buried with, when he rose from the dead, something changed. Now what I really find fascinating, Paul calls our earthly bodies tents. He calls them tabernacles. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 4. If I recall... I believe Paul says that twice, that our earthly bodies are just tents, tabernacles, temporary dwelling places. They're not the bodies that we're going to have like Jesus when we're resurrected and dwelling with him. This affirms John chapter 1 verses 14. This is amazing. But just as God came twice to dwell in a sukkah, in a tent, and a second time to dwell in the Beit HaMikdash, the permanent dwelling place, the house that Solomon built. Jesus came twice. The first time in his earthly sukkah, in his earthly body, but the second time he comes, and I'm not talking about the end of days. I'm talking about now. You know, we talk about in Christianity, we ask Jesus in our hearts, or we ask G Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. Uh, we declare that, that Jesus is Lord and Savior and God. And we become Christians. We become born again. And all of a sudden, we change. Something amazing happens. We become the house. We become the temple. We become God's Beit Hamikdash. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. We read, You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now the Greek grammar there, we find that the word you is you plural. In English we have one word, you, that could mean a single person, or it could mean a group of people. They have a Greek word for you, singular female, you, singular male. They have a Greek word for you, group, mixture, male and female, uh, you, mixture, uh, female, etc. So when we go to 1 Corinthians 
and it says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells in you the word you there is plural in other words there's only one temple all of us make up one temple you are the temple of the Holy Spirit it doesn't say you all are all the temples of the Holy Spirit as if all of us are the temples we are not little temples that's the wrong grammar and when we do that when we start saying our body is a temple and you're a temple and my son-in-law is a temple and my grandkids are little temples running around we destroy the following unity of what I'm about to get into because it's awesome so go with me here 1st Corinthians 3:16. who dwells in you the Holy Spirit and the you is plural which means there's one temple this is repeated in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. All of us, again, are one temple. This is in the Greek. Who dwells in us? The Holy Spirit. Undoubtedly, this is biblical. This is the Word of God. But then, Jesus says something in John chapter 14, verse 20. He says to us, basically saying to his disciples at the Last Supper, he's telling them that he is in the Father, we are in him, and he is in us. Jesus is saying, I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. Jesus is saying that he dwells in us. And he said, wait a minute, I thought the Holy Spirit dwells in us. What did Jesus just say? Take a look at this. It's also in John 17, 23. Jesus again says, I dwell in them. Paul goes into this. Colossians 1, verse 27. Romans 8, verse 10. Galatians 2, verse 20. Christ is in us. Christ dwells in us. Wow. Hey, guys, it's getting crowded here. I thought it was just the Holy Spirit. And I thought Jesus was uh, doing other stuff. But it's Jesus and the Holy Spirit who dwell in us. But the Bible doesn't quit there. We go into John 17, 21. John 17, verse 21. And Jesus is saying to us, he's praying to his Father, Father, let us let them be one with us that we are one together and that you and i will be in them the father too second corinthians 6 verse 16 god says he will dwell with us and then in ephesians 2 verses 20 through 22 we are the temple of adonai and we're a dwelling for god it doesn't say a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say a dwelling for Jesus. It says a dwelling for God. This is awesome. Sukkot. And we recall that God came twice. Once to dwell in his sukkah, in his tabernacle, in his tent. And then the second time in his house. And Jesus, he came twice. He came to camp out in his sukkah, just like it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. Skeno is the Greek word. He came to camp out. Paul says that his body before he died was his tent. Our body before it changes into a resurrected body like Jesus. 
is just a tent. But Jesus comes into a second, comes a second time, but not at the end of the age. For us now, he comes to a new house. He comes to a new temple. He comes to us, one temple. Just like God came to one tent in the Sinai wilderness and one Beit HaMikdash in Jerusalem that Solomon built, one temple, the picture is the same. Jesus came to dwell with us in his one human body, his sukkah, his tabernacle. And a second time he comes to dwell in one temple created by God, which is us together. This is too awesome. Now, this is the very words of God. It's not my opinion. The Feast of Sukkot, what a time for us to rejoice. It is the season of joy for Jew and Gentile alike. What? It gives us such a rationale when you see Jesus in these feasts. When you see Jesus in Yom Teruah, which we know as Rosh Hashanah. When you see Jesus in Yom Kippurim. When you see Jesus in the Feast of Tabernacles, the appointed time of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot, it gives us such a rationale to say, why aren't we, as a church, having services on these days rather than the made-up celebrations that we have? They're good. The celebrations are fantastic. But Easter is not in the Bible. Christmas is not in the Bible. Ascension Thursday is not in the Bible. What I mean not in the Bible is they are not commanded as feasts, as times to celebrate by God. Indeed, this is too awesome. This is not my opinion. This is the very words of God. How much we miss! How much have escaped us! Then he asked the question. <laughs> there can't be more, is there? Is there more? <laughs> Just wait. I'll see you in Lesson 3, the Feast of Sukkot in this podcast series, The Fall Feast of Adonai. Shalom. Mm-hmm.